We are in the uh, fifth week of this study in the book of 1 Peter. You have a copy of the Bible you can open up to 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3, and it's really at the heart, really, of the message of this book, or it really gets at what this book is really trying to um, teach. And we've been talking about it, and this video was a good introduction. That is, how do you engage a world that seems to be um, less and less interested, less and less connected to the message of the gospel that is found in the church? How do we help connect people with a message that they desperately need, right? That very message, or as Colin just talked about, you know, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but you gave yourself away. I mean, this reckless love. How do we connect people with a message that they really desperately need, but seem to be farther away from, from the sense of access and interest than they perhaps have been uh, in a very long time? Well, the, I think the answer to that, title of my message this morning, we've been talking about it, but maybe uh, turn the screw a little bit more this morning. It's really about practicing our faith. That's really the answer, I think. It's really about practicing our faith. In other words, we need to um, be the church, right? Kind of the essence of uh, even John Webster's testimony that Mike was talking about. We need to be the church um, where we are, um, we need to be the church with people before people are going to join us and be with us here in the church. That's the essence. How do we do that? I think we do that by practicing our faith. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Short passage. Follow along as I read. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And that's been his challenge throughout this book. Do good. That's how we change the world. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. The first thing I think in this passage that Peter wants to say or reinforce to his congregation, that I want to say and reinforce to this congregation, is we need to choose to fear the right thing, okay? I don't know too many people, maybe there's one or two in here, I doubt it, um, but people who are completely and totally fearless. I mean, we, we live in a world today um, where, there, I should say it this, there used to be a time in my lifetime, so I'll say you're my age, you know-ish, older or younger, um, there, but there was a time in my lifetime where the only trouble that you knew pretty much was your own trouble, right? I mean, that was pretty much the only trouble that I knew. I knew the things that bothered me. I knew the trouble that I had in my life, and I kind of carried that around. But the larger trouble that's going on in the world, it took some time to catch up, right? I mean, think about even this recent um, shooting a month or so ago. I mean, there's so many instances, but this one in Florida, okay? Now, I think if I was a kid, I don't know that the world's any worse than it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I don't know that it is, but what I know about it, the access that we know about the trouble that's not just my trouble, 
Boy, it's a lot quicker. I think if I was a kid and something like that happened, maybe, maybe I'd catch it if I sat down at the 6 o'clock news, you know, the old Peter Jennings or whatever the case may be, right? Maybe I would catch that. Maybe if I read the paper when I was 17, I might catch that within a few days. But today, even our students in the room, not to mention the rest of us, something like that shooting in Florida happens. Listen, you don't go out looking for it. It comes to you. And by the time, you know, dinner time comes, you not only know there's been a shooting, you know there's 17 people that have been killed. You have seen some of the pictures. You know some of the profiles. You have a background profile of the shooter, right or wrong, uh, by dinner time, okay? I mean, you goes on and on. I've read recently a lot now. I mean, think about the war in Syria. Were things like that going on when I was a kid? Yes, there were, right? These things didn't just start, uh, you know, in the 21st century. No, they didn't. But what you know about them, you know, what's happening in the world, you don't go out searching for it. You know about it, right? And the question is this, is, is what is it, what kind of influence does it have on you? I'm not, by the way, this isn't a message about anti-technology, sort of, you know, some, the pastor saying, you know, uh, let's get back to some, you know, uh, simpler time. No, I'm not anti-technology. I use technology. I embrace technology. It's over there. I have a smartphone, right? I have an iPad, etc. I use it, we use it as a church. But the question is, how is it influencing you? Right? This trouble, this evil that's all over the world that you know so much about. Not just your trouble, good night. Not just your neighbor's trouble. Not just the people in Florida's trouble. But the trouble and the, con- and, and the difficulty all over. The- How is it influencing you? Is it making you cynical? Is it making you jaded in some ways? So much so that when it comes to the world, you may never say this out loud to your spouse or to your friends. You say, listen, you know, I'm just going to avoid it altogether, right? There's a sense in which, I mean, Peter's talking about in many ways, the historical context of this book is about persecution, right? The early church was persecuted. Most of us, now this is not true in all the world, there's persecution in the world, real persecution. Hope you know that. Very serious uh, uh, persecution for Christians. For most of us, it's not the case. People aren't knocking on my door. They're not knocking on the door out here, you know, telling us we cannot worship and threatening us for the most part in any way to keep us from worshiping God. But I think there's a different kind of persecution in a manner of speaking. I think it's this kind of sense in which we have become so jaded sometimes, so cynical about what's going on in the world that we just decide without ever saying it as individuals, as families but even as churches say let the world just you know let it just go i'm not gonna i don't want to engage with the world it's too dangerous it's too it's too difficult it's too complicated it's problematic right and we almost think we're doing the right thing by staying away you know jesus said these famous words and shows you that nothing's really changed in some ways right the world wasn't a wasn't a wasn't a warm fuzzy place two thousand years ago Uh, But Jesus said this to his disciples, who also felt persecuted. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. In this world you will have trouble. They were persecuted. Many of them, uh, uh, you know, died a martyr's death. But he said, listen, I don't want to take you out of the world. That's what he said. As the Father hath sent me, I am sending you. He said, my concern is I just want to send you into the world, but keep you from the evil thereof, right? I want you to go in the world. God wants you and me in the world, right? There's a quote in this passage. 
I don't know if you see it. It's in verse 14. There's quotations, at least in the NIV. Uh, you sh- even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Now watch, it says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. That's a quote from 700 years earlier from a period, and Peter's, Peter's evoking this idea in the history of Israel, right? When the little kingdom of Judah, right? Just two tribes of Israel around Jerusalem. Just this, I mean, the city of Rochester, not very big. The little city of Judah, the little, the little um, kingdom of Judah was surrounded by the greatest power in that day, the great imperial power of the Assyrians. They were there, they were saber rattling and basically saying, lights are out. And the, pro- the, the Lord of the Lord comes to the prophet Isaiah and he says, listen, I have a word for you and the word that God gives Isaiah is not for the enemies, it's for the people, for the king of Israel and for the people, because all of the people in Israel basically said, as they listened to the, the boots outside of the city, as they were hearing the taunts of the, of the imperial army, they said, listen, we need to give up. We need to just hand over the keys. We need to surrender, right? And God says to the, he says, listen, I have a word for, the, for, for my people. Do not fear, he's saying to Isaiah, what they fear. Don't listen to them. Because there's something greater that you ought to fear, and ought to be me. I just saw this movie. I don't know if some of you saw it. Uh, the the uh, Darkest Hour, right? And you see the movie, The Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill story. And you know, I don't know what you think of Winston Churchill. He's, he was an imperfect human being, like we all were. He had some interesting, uh, uh, many many um, layers to his life. But this one movie, I thought it was fascinating. Reminded me of this moment. Is really about one decision that he had to make. As the, as the newly elected prime minister, uh, Hitler was advancing all over Europe. And, I mean, it was, he was just running over everybody. He had control of the skies. He had control of the seas. The British army was, was very weak. It was anemic. It was so anemic, so weak at this point. They were trying to defend France. France had already basically capitulated. Hitler had already taken over most of France, a lot of Europe. Belgium had already gone. Those of you who know the, the history of World War II, I mean, it was lights out. And he's ready to take Britain and all the war cabinet. Churchill gets all these people, and I mean the smartest, the most dedicated people, and every single one of them said, we need to capitulate. We need to give in. We're hopeless. We can't do it. And this was at the time, I didn't see this movie, but the story of Dunkirk, right? One of, one of, one of, one of a Churchill's great ideas was to try to get some fighting men to fight Hitler, was to send civilian boats, fishing boats, you know, any kind of boat you could, to Dunkirk, the, 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 the city on the French coast, to get the trapped uh, French and British soldiers so they could come back and defend uh, England. That was his plan. And almost every one to a person, and it's demonstrated in this movie, said, listen, this is not winnable. We can't do it. We have to give in. And in a sense, he said, listen, we cannot fear. I'm not going to listen to what you say. Right? He, there's this one scene in the movie where he just he, he decides to get out of the, this political world. He, he goes on a subway. He's never been on a subway. I assume this is a true story. He's just, he didn't even know how to use the subway, right? I mean, he's been a privileged guy his whole life. But he just asks people on the subway, what do you think? I don't know if this is a true story. I hope it is. It sounded like a wonderful story. And he just said, tell me what you think. Do you think we ought to um, uh, make a peace deal with Adolf Hitler? And they said, absolutely not, never. Never. Fight to the last. 
And he went in and he made a speech and he said, that's what we're going to do. That's what happens here. Let me just read you the passage that he's evoking. You don't have to turn there. Um, that when Peter is evoking Isaiah, it says this from Isaiah chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. My gosh, I could be reading the New York Times, right? Do not call conspiracy everything. He's saying, this is what, I, this is what the Lord's telling Isaiah to tell to the king of, 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 of Israel, to tell him to the people of Israel that were, that were, that were struggling, that, were, that wanted to give in. That everything the people calls conspiracy, do not fear what they fear, do not dread it. Now watch this. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Listen, here's what he's saying. Don't worry about what their fear. If you are going to let those, uh, the, the evil in the world, capture your imagination, capture your heart, if that's going to be the primary thing that you're looking to, let me tell you something. Whether you live in uh, the ancient Near East or the 21st century, you're never going to move forward in your life. As a, you're never going to do what God wants you to do. We're never going to do what God wants us to do. We're just going to simply give in, batten the hatches, and, and, and wait it out. Look at Jesus, one of them other examples. Same scenario with his own disciples. Nothing's changed. Luke chapter 12, if you have a copy of the Bible. Luke chapter 12 says the same thing to his own disciples. I tell you, my friends, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Now, why would he say that unless there was some real fear? There was. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now you're thinking, wow, what a message, right? But listen to the rest of it, right? Remember, he's talking to his friends. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What he's saying, what's he saying, right? These are not words of fear of God's judgment, right? It's not what he's saying when he says, listen, be, be, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of those who, who after you died can send you to hell. It's not simply a challenge to fear God's judgment. It's a challenge. He's talking to his friends, right? Don't be afraid, my friends to respect God's power. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you need to make a decision. I need to make a decision that the person, if, if the, the person who has all power is God, and if God is good, and if God is loving, right, you can have confidence in his power. And that's really what he says, Peter says on the other side of this verse. Remember, fear the right thing. Do not fear what they fear, but, verse 15, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. It's a confidence builder, right? That's what he's trying to say. If God, is God powerful? Yes, he is. But he loves you, and he's for you, and if you fear him, right? If you revere him, you have nothing else to fear. That only 
way that I'm going to be able to really go out into a world that is full of trouble and do, right, just be a messenger to live my life before others is I've decided, listen, I don't want to fear what they fear. I don't need to fear what they fear. I'm going to, res- I'm going to save my uh, revere, the person I'm going to fear in a manner of speaking, that I'm going to respect, that I'm going to remind myself has control over all things. Everybody works for him is God. And he's got my back, right? That's what Jesus says. Don't you know that your father, when one sparrow falls, he knows about it? How much more does he not know? He knows the hairs of your head. Do not fear, my friends, right? Because he loves you. And he has your back. That's what Peter's saying. You need to choose to fear the... And that's a decision you need to make every day, guys. You need to make that... Because it doesn't... You don't, you don't have to go anywhere for the, the trouble of the world to come your way. You've got to decide what you fear. Second thing, you need to walk the talk and talk the walk, right? It's about practicing your faith. Always be prepared, verse 15, to give an answer to any, everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, right? That's what he's saying. If you are really believe, if, if your life has been changed because of what you believe, right, it ought to manifest itself in how you live. That's what he's talking about. You are the message, that you are the message. And it's, it assumes, too, this passage, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone or everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Say, listen, the world's full of trouble. There's all kinds of reasons to be cynical. There's all kinds of reasons to be jaded, and most, and many people are that way. But if you have a different kind of hope, if you revere Christ as your Lord, if, you're, if you have a different attitude, if there's hope in your life, it ought to manifest itself in your life. And when people ask you about it, why is it, George, that you live the way that you do? Why does this not drive you crazy? Why does this not make you panic? Why does this not strike fear in you? Why are you living a different way? Why is it not the end of the world for you? Right? He's saying you need to be able to talk about that. You need to be able to... Walk the talk and talk the walk. And what it assumes is this, though, back to even our opening video, that you, that I, actually have real relationships with people who are not Christians, right? Well, because why else would anyone... You need to be always ready, prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have. Jason and Marissa aren't asking me about that hope because they have that hope. You have that hope. The assumption in this passage is that I'm living my life before other people and that other people are asking me about why I live the way that I live. Right? People want to know that there is, there, it, that there is hope, that there's, that there's something beyond their present experience. That there's purpose behind just living for yourself. Listen, that death, although it's going to come for every one of us, is not something that you need to fear, right? Why do you not fear death the way others do? They need to know there's a loving God who can be known, right? How do you make this happen, right? You know, one of the simplest ways that you can live out your faith Right? That you can walk the talk. This is, this is, it shows you how in some ways nothing's changed in some ways in 2,000 years. How do we 
live our lives before others. It, it's, it's, it's really, it's at work, it's at home. But I'll tell you one of the simplest assignments. People say, Pastor, give me something I can do in the sermon. I'll give you something very simple you can do if you really want to engage a, a, you know, a member of your family you don't talk to a ton or is not a Christian, a neighbor, someone where you work. It's a very simple thing if you really want to live this passage out. Invite them over your house for dinner. I don't think there's a, a simpler way to open up your life Right? I've been in hundreds of homes in this church in my years as a pastor. I'll tell you what, you learn an awful lot about somebody in their home, having dinner at their home, right? It's an opportunity not for you to preach, not for you to you know, make some kind of statement, just to share your life, right? Be always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. Why does not this world and its troubles um, make you as anxious as it makes me? That's it. And then are you ready to give an answer, right? We not only need to walk the talk, we need to talk the walk. I had a conversation recently, within the last two weeks, with a guy that I've known for um, probably 10 years. I met him casually when I first bought a house. Not the house I have now, but the, the, my other house that I had. And um, as far as I know, this guy, from, from I see him occasionally, we, you know, we've, we've maintained a relationship. I don't think he has ever been to a church service. He's just one of these rare people you meet who's just never been to a church service, didn't have, grow up at a barn, never been to one. But he's always very interested, and he always, I'm sort of, when I see him, we have these conversations, and he, you can tell God's working in his life. You can tell it's, he's, in his own way, he's searching, and he always has a subject he wants to talk about, and the subject this time was abortion. And he said, you know, I want to ask you something. We just ran into him. He said, I want to, he said, you know, I, 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 he's like, you guys, you know, you Christians, you know, you, you, you know, it just bugs me. And I see, and I listen to this, and I saw this, and he's kind of a news junkie, and I, and, 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 and these Christians who, who, who voted for this president, he's not a big fan of the president, you know, and, and this whole idea, and he said, uh, you know, in this whole idea about abortion, and he said, uh, it seems so mean-spirited, and I just don't get it. Like, in other words, why would I want to go to a church when there's so much vitriol and so much anger, I don't get it. It's very political. And I said, well, listen, I respect what you're saying, right? Are you, can you engage? Can you talk the walk, right? Can you walk? And he, I said, that's an interesting thought. Thank you for bringing that up. So let me tell you what I think. My sense is, friend, that many people, many people, both on the left and on the right and in the middle, they're single-issue voters, I said, people, there's some people, they have, whether it's pro-life or pro-abortion or it it's, it's, could be something about marriage, it could be something about the military, it could be something about immigration. People, many people, I'm not one of them, but many people are single-issue voters and they don't care who the candidate is. He could be as nice as Mother Teresa or as bad as, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, 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 Charles Manson. In other words, their character is not important. People only care about the issues and their single issue voters. A lot of people do that. I'm not one of them, but they do that. And I respect that it. it's a free country. But I said, since you're bringing up the issue of abortion, you brought it up, I said, did you know that in the 45 years... Since abortion's been legal, it's been that long in this country, I said that right now, as I understand it, there are fewer abortions in America than there has ever been in 45 years. 
It's the lowest there's ever been. And I said, my sense is that there are people, tens or hundreds of thousands over these years, many of them working in the church, outside of the church. Are they all Christians? No. Are many of them Christians? I think they are. Who are working in agencies, in and through the church, in and outside of the church, trying to give women other options because they care about this issue. That's what I think. And I said, let me tell you something. I don't talk about how I vote, right? But if you ask Gazoo, you know, I said, he'll tell you that I probably go in and more often than not, I'll vote for candidates that are pro-life, right? He doesn't read the Bible, so I figured he watched the Flintstones. So I said, uh, you know, that, 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 I'll tell you that. But I said, I don't, I don't stand on my congregation. He knows I'm a pastor. I don't tell people how to vote, right? I figured that's up to them. I said, he said, why not? And I said, because it's not the most important thing. What I most want people to know is that God loves them, that he, you know, that he sent Jesus for their sin, that he wants to have a personal relationship. I don't want anything to get in the way of that. So I said to him, now, we were in this public place, a couple minutes went by, he, he looked at me like, this was the look on his face. That was helpful. And a couple minutes later, he came back up to me and he said, now I've known this guy for 10 years. The first time he's ever said this to me, he goes, would you do me a favor? I said, absolutely. He said, um, my daughter is, has this problem. Would you pray for her? I said, absolutely, I'll pray for her, guys. This is all it is. Be always pre- we need to walk the talk, but we also need to talk the walk. You need to know what you believe. And here's what I think about many of you. I don't know every person in this room. I think many of you in this room, as I look around this room, many of you do walk the talk. You do. You don't think that you do because you're not perfect and you're sinners like I am, but most of you do walk the talk. You do. The question is, do you talk the walk? In other words, you just need to get out there and be open and be prepared, enter into conversations because I think if people asked you, Mike Miller, why do you do what you do? You know, why do you, got, why do you arrange your family this way? Why do you live the way that you do? Why do you make these choices? Why do you not do this and do that? I'm just interested to know. Do you vote this way? What do you think about this? I think your answer, your honest answer, would be very helpful to the people around you. The question is, are we in those kind of conversations? And if we're, and the only way you can be, uh, answer people who ask you for the reason of the hope that lies within you is if you're in a relationship with them, right? If we really want to see the church make a difference, right? The, the line between non-churchgoer and churchgoer in my lifetime has gotten much bigger. Not only because of the darkness of our culture, the broken world that we live in, but because we have, a, unfortunately, a 24-7 media cycle who's not very friendly to the, to the Christian church and what people think the church is about and the gospel is about and what it's really about is very, very different. But they're only a conversation or two of, away from understanding that. Right? We need to walk the talk and talk the walk. And finally, we need to keep a clear conscience. That's how he ends this passage. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, right, those who are not going to open, listen to you and say, well, you're all, you know, whatever they want to say about, 
what it means to be a Christian, may be ashamed for their sin. What does it mean to keep a clear conscience? It means to be free of guilt and responsibility. You know what that concept means, to, be, to, 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 to have a clear conscience. But in this context, to be free of guilt and responsibility simply means as it relates to your responsibility, your relationship to the people around you. That's what he's trying to say. You need to keep a clear conscience. I need to keep a clear conscience, which just says this. Not that I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, you know uh, going crazy. Not that I'm, I have to become a, you know, a 24-7 missionary. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Rob, George, Cheryl, Jerry, you know, uh, Bob, Patsy, all of us, right? Are we simply taking a level of responsibility for the people that God has put in our lives, right? Are, do, do you have a, a clear conscience? Are we taking every opportunity? Are we always prepared, right, to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have? Are we living on our faith before other people in small ways, in everyday ways, and are we open to conversations with people to let them know what the hope that we have. Why do you have hope? Why does not uh, the world's troubles um, bring great anxiety to you? Why are you not as, as downcast and as depressed as some others around you? We're not perfect. We live in a broken world, but your life is different. You have a hope, and that, what Peter said, that's what people are primarily looking for. They're not looking for answers to hard questions. They're not looking for theological um, uh, d debate. They're looking for a hope that they don't have. And as they see it in your life, and as they see it in my life, they want to know why, right? Be always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you. And do it with gentleness, right? I said to my friend, gentleness, I get it. And respect, respecting people's um, questions, respecting their fears, and keep a clear conscience, which simply means that you're gonna do whatever you can. I'm gonna do whatever I can to, be, to live, to point people to God. Verse 18 will end. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Jesus is always our example. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. Just simply point people to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And he, those very same concepts were said about you and me in the chapter earlier, right? We are to die to sins and to live to righteousness. We have a hope within us that is something that a non-Christian, it's not because we're better than them, they don't have. And if we really, if we want to... We really want to see this community come to faith, right? I'm not talking about, you know, let's build an auditorium and let's take 70 people from that church and let's bring them to our church, right? I mean, that's that's, that's wasted time and money, right? It's this community is full of people, good people, your neighbors, my neighbors, the people that work in your school and in your office, good people who do not know. They didn't grow up in the church. Is less and less in our culture, less and less. They don't know what you know, as what Colin, we talked about, that God has a reckless love, right? It's not about, you don't earn it. He gives it to you, and they're looking for a way in, and it's your life, and it's my life. Amen? All right, let's pray.
Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. I thank you for every person in this room. And Lord, in a sense, I, I want to just, you know, uh, commission all of us, every single one of us, students, adults, young and old, help us to know, Lord, that on our worst day, if we're a Christian in this room, on our very worst day, we have um, so much um, to live for, so much to be grateful for. We have um, the, the hope of the world in our hearts because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Lord, this is really what the world is starved for. In a world that continually is bombarded with bad news, continually is bombarded with um, difficulty and with struggle, uh, and is, is increasingly hopeless. What people are looking for is hope. And Lord, we, we know that there's only one true hope. It's not in a policy. It's not in a politician. It's not in, a, in, a, in, a, in money. It's in the Savior who came to solve the real problem at the heart of the world's troubles, at the heart of my troubles, which is separation from God. And I just, Lord, pray that you would use us, even in these weeks marching to Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection, the victory um, that was brought when Christ rose, that said forever and ever, death is not the last uh, end of the story. Um, there is hope in Christ. There is forgiveness of sin. There is new life. Help us, God. Even as we think through this week, where we do life, where we live, help us to be more open. As, help us to fear not what they fear, but to revere Christ in our hearts and to go out into a world and reflect that same devotion to the people around us, to help people see the real reason for our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.